You know, Christmas is an awesome time, right? It is a great time, especially if you are a child. It is a great time. With all the decorations that you see, with all the get-togethers, all the trips that you, that you make, you know, with all the music, all the gifts, especially the gifts and the presents and things like that. I remember when I was a child, I remember that Christmas was so exciting. It was so exciting. I used to just stay up all night. That was the time when you don't have to go to school anymore, so you can stay up as late as you want, right? And you can wake up anytime. Your, your parents don't bother you anymore. And you get two to three weeks. I, I think nowadays, the kids nowadays get three weeks. Back when I was going to school, we used to get two weeks off. And it was the time in which I would stay up all night because my parents never took us anywhere, but my, but my uncle and my cousins, and they were, they were the ones that would come and visit us. And I would stay up all night just waiting for them to arrive. They used to live in San Jose at that time. Just waiting, so excited, so exciting. Can't wait to see them. But as you get older, Christmas is not as fun anymore. As you get older, you realize all the chaos around Christmas, you know, all those shopping lines, all those shopping crowds that you have to fight through. And a couple of days ago, last Friday, actually, I went over to Walmart, you know, just Walmart right here. And I went over there, and, you know, the, the whole parking lot was pretty much packed. And so I had to park my car near the, near the street. And after I parked my car near the street, I got out of the car, and I looked at Walmart, and I was like, I'm not going to walk that far just to go shopping. <laughs> right? Because it it, it's just packed over there, you know, it's just packed right there, and, and I didn't want to go over there. Especially for us men, during, during this Christmas time, I mean, I can say that 90% of us men here probably don't know how to shop, right? We probably don't know how to shop. And nowadays, when you go, when you go shopping and you get there, they, they even have these, these, uh, these machines, these scanners that you have to scan for yourself. And you have to scan for yourself. And so it feels like you're not just going shopping, but you actually have to go to work or something like that, right? You buy the stuff, and now you have to go and scan it yourself. And after that, you have to pack everything up yourself now. And so, you know, it feels like you're actually taking on another shift at your job or something like that. And, you know, one of the things is this, that God realizes that many, you know, God in his own infinite wisdom many, many years ago, he realized. He realized that even us as Christians, that many times, that we will be distracted in the journey of our own faith. He realized that. And so he used the Apostle Paul to write, he used the Apostle Paul to write these words for us here in Titus chapter 2. Because the people of the Apostle Paul's time, they were very distracted from their faith also. They had their own traditions that they were trying to uphold. And so they were so distracted from their faith as they were going on this journey of faith, as they were beginning to accept Jesus Christ. Many of the, uh, the Christians at that time, they were Jewish. And so they had, they had that Jewish tra tradition that they were trying to hold on to. And all that traditional stuff was, was getting in the way, was distracting them from their faith. And we see this in the letter of Titus. Here in Titus chapter 1, verse 14, we see this is what the apostle Paul says, Pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. And so in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, the Apostle Paul says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Because that was the tradition at that time that was distracting them from the faith. Just like nowadays, the things, you know, during Christmas season, the thing that often distracts us is all the shopping that we have to do. And we go out there, you know, we have to, you know, we want to make sure that we get everybody a gift or something like that, right? And so we're, all, we're always distracted from all these things. And many times our faith 
is distracted on this journey that we're taking. During the Advent season, we've talked about a few things. We've talked about a few things. The first week, we talked about the hope that is in Christ, our coming King. We talked about that hope. In this, the second week, we talked about preparing our hearts or joining John the Baptist in his mission, in his ministry, to prepare the church, to prepare God's people for the coming of the King. And then in week three, we talked about rejoicing in the Lord always, just always rejoicing in the Lord. And then yesterday, we talked about, you know, God opening our eyes, God opening our eyes to see the world the way that God sees the world. And so today on Christmas Eve, what we're going to talk about is we are going to talk about Jesus Christ. We are going to talk about Jesus Christ. And that, that is what the Apostle Paul is referring to here when he says, the grace of God has appeared. Here in Titus, when it says the grace of God has appeared, what he is talking about here is he's trying to get them to focus on Jesus Christ and for them to realize that Christ is above all things. That Christ is above all things, all the things that they were worrying about, all the traditions that they were trying to keep. And the, Paul, the Apostle Paul just wanted them to realize that, you know what, Christ is above all of that. He is above all of that. In other words, what, what Christ was, was, was coming from is that Christ, he came directly from God. And that's why he says, this is the grace of God. The grace of God. In other words, Christ, Christ, he came directly from God. When we come to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we come to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are not celebrating just any birth, but we are, ta- we are celebrating we're celebrating the incarnation, the incarnation of God himself taking upon human flesh. And so Paul here is, is trying to set Jesus Christ as being above all things, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in people's lives, in our own lives, wanting us to understand that. That Jesus Christ, he's not just another religious leader. He's just not like, an, he's just not like another guru or like another monk or like another prophet like Moses or Elijah or anyone like that. He's not just another moral teacher like Socrates or like Plato, but he is actually the evidence of God. He is actually the evidence of God. He is actually the evidence of God's love because he came directly from God. I know many times today we as Christians are often afraid to talk about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But we have to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ for us to really understand what Christ gave up for us. The Apostle Paul understood something, that unless we have the right faith, unless we have the right faith, then our behavior cannot be right. And so our spiritual life is very, very important. And that's why the Apostle Paul is trying to set this foundation for them. Set the spiritual foundation for them so that they understand who Jesus Christ is, so that it will affect the way that they live their life. If we have a false idea of Jesus Christ, which many of the early, early uh, Christians did, if we have a, this false idea of Jesus Christ, then it's going to affect the way that we live our life. It's going to affect our behavior. And so that's why, that's why Paul was trying so, so much to, to really communicate this message to them, to let them know exactly who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was not just another child being born, but Jesus Christ, he came directly from God. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, 
John chapter 1, verse 1, the apostle John took it a little step further to really explain, to really just focus on this idea. And he says this, he says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and that the word was God. See, in the beginning was the word. That word, word that he's talking about is he's talking about Jesus Christ himself. And we know that because later on in, the, in John, John wrote in chapter 1, verse 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling upon us. And that word, that, that word, word there, that word, word there in the Greek is logos, logos. That's where we get our, our idea of, of many of our words that, that ends with Logic. It's like psychology, geology, theology, things of that sort. Because what that word is trying to explain to us, what that word is trying to um, communicate to us, is that this is the inner thought. This is, or, or in other words, this is the structure of thought. This is the expression of thought. Or this is the science to help you understand something. Okay, so in theology, what, it, what we're talking about is in theology, theos, theos is in reference to God. And so theology is the understanding of God or the study of God or the, the science, the scientific way to think about God, the structural way to think about God. And when we, think, when we talk about geology, when we talk about geology from the Greek word ye, which means land, earth. We see that that's, that's about the study of the land. That's the study of the earth. And when we look at words such as psychology, where, it's, where, where it comes from the word suki, which talks about the inner being, the, the spirit, the soul, the soul. And so when you talk about psychology, you're talking about the structural thought, the way the science, the scientific way of how you can think or learn about the inner being, about the soul of a person. And so when we come to theology, that's what we're talking about. It's the study of God, the expression of God. And so what John here is trying to, to explain to us here with the word logos here, is that he's trying to explain to us here that this logos here is the, is the expression of God himself. In other words, what John is saying, that is in order for us to know God, in order for us to understand who God is, is that we have to go through Christ. That Christ is that expression. Jesus Christ is that expression of God to us. And that's why he is setting Jesus Christ above all things. That is the reason why he's setting Jesus Christ above all things, making us understand this. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came directly from God. But not only did he come directly from God, but that he is God. He is God. And so we, we begin to see here in John chapter 1, verse 1, we see the idea of the Holy Trinity, which we as Christians, we believe in. Because Paul sa- uh, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and he goes on and he says the Word was God. Talking about the Trinity, we see that in the, within the Trinity, there is a distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it is within that, within that um, distinction within that diversity where we see true love, we see unity, true unity take place. And we see by studying the, the Trinity, we see what it means to be united. That diversity is supposed to bring us unity, not division, by understanding, by understanding who God is. 
And so when, when we come to understand who Jesus Christ is, when we come to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ or that he is above all things, then we begin to understand. We begin to understand exactly what he gave up for us. We begin to understand exactly what it took for him to redeem us. And when we talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ or when we talk about Christ becoming flesh, we are not saying that Jesus Christ has abandoned his deity or that he has abandoned any kind of, um, you know, any kind of attributes to his de- deity. We're not saying that at all. Or, and we're not saying that Jesus Christ was 50% God and 50% man. That's not what we believe as Christians. But what we're saying is that Jesus Christ is 100% God and that he is 100% man. He's unique. He's different. He's different from all of us. He's different from all of us. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8, by understanding this, by understanding what Christ has given up for us, then Paul shows us how we can interact with each other through understanding who Christ is. And he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verse 8, he says, in your relationship with one another. See, now he's talking about the practical things of life. By first understanding the, the theology or the study of God, now we can put that into practice. And then in our relationship with one another, we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And how does he explain that? He says, Jesus Christ, who is being in very nature God, so he is, in, you know, he is God himself, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That message is very important for us, guys. That message is so important for us because many times in our day and age, just as back then during the time in which Jesus was walking on the earth, many times we often use our positions, our privileges, the, the, the authorities that we have, we often use these things for our own benefit. We often use these things for our own advantages. We often use these things for ourselves. But, God, but Christ Jesus, even though he was God himself, He did not use his power. He did not use his authority. He did not use his privilege for himself. But yet he used his authority. He used his power to lift us up. And that's what I want us to understand. That's what I want us to understand tonight, here on this night, as we come together to worship God together. That God has provided each and every single one of us a certain position in life. Many of us, we have more privileges than others. Being a pastor, I have certain privileges that you guys don't. I understand that. But we are not to use these privileges for our own selves. We have certain authority. As a pastor, I have certain authority that you don't have in the church. But I'm not to use these authority just for myself as a selfish way or a selfish means to, to, for my own personal gain. But I am to lower myself just as Christ lowered himself to lift me up. And as the pastor, I am to lower myself so that I can also help lift you up. And that's what we are all to do for each other. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. You may be the richest person in the church. You may be the most educated person in the church. 
You may be the most popular person in the church. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. We have to look at Jesus Christ and, and do as what the Apostle Paul taught us in Philippians, that have the same mindset as Jesus Christ and lower ourselves towards each other so that we can really build each other up and we can really, really just lift each other up. And so tonight, so tonight as we look upon the manger, it is a reminder of his, his humility, how much he humbled himself for us. And so tonight as we look upon his manger, I want us to be reminded of a humble servant who humbled himself to lift us up. And so as we think about these things and goes back to all those, all those crowds that we're fighting out there, we're going out there, you know, shopping and trying to make a child smile. And many times it's chaotic. Many times it's exhausting. Many times we don't want to do it anymore. Especially us men, we hate shopping, right? We hate shopping. But even in that sense, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because if you can make a child smile, it's worth it. If you can buy a present to give to a child and make that child smile, it's worth everything. Because it was worth it for Jesus Christ to give up everything and to go through his suffering and to humble himself for us. At the same time, it is worth it for us to do it for a child. And so that's, what I, that's the message I want us to get tonight, just to humble ourselves, to really lift each other up. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much, Father. Father, tonight as we gaze upon the manger in Bethlehem, we are reminded of your son's humility, in which he humbled himself, even though he is the king, even though he is the creator. He is the giver of life. He humbled himself and made himself nothing on our behalf to lift, to lift us up. Father, tonight we ask that you also give us the heart to be able to lower ourselves just like how your son did. Lower ourselves so we may build other people up for your kingdom, Father. So, Father, we give you everything and we lift everything to you tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.